What do you do in the face of grief? A couple of weeks ago, I spent some time sitting with a man named Eric, whose wife of 69 years had died just a few moments earlier. See, when people we love die, the grief is real and it can be overwhelming. But it's not just death. Uh, This week, uh, I was talking with Valerie, uh, who has just been told that uh, her heart could fail at any moment. For context, I work as an aged care chaplain. That's why I'm having these conversations so frequently. But when we face our own mortality, that's another time for deep grief. Our passage this week, though, touches on another slightly different type of grief. Uh, The grief of being unable to have a child. I'm sure most of us here have faced griefs of one sort or or another during our lives. And I'm sure some here have faced this particular grief of being unable to have the child that you long for. Perhaps you faced that grief just for a time. I have friends who uh, prayed for years that they might be able to have a child before God answered that prayer. Maybe you've grieved for decades because I have friends who, for whom God never answered that prayer. But whatever particular griefs each of us face, the temptation we feel in the face of these terrible things is to despair It feels like nothing will ever be right again. It feels like there's no hope for the future. Life is over. Hope is dead. If you feel that way or have ever felt that way, I want you to know a couple of things. The first is that you are not alone. And the Bible speaks again and again into these situations of grief. The Bible is always deeply honest about the problems of this life. The Psalms, for example, are just full of prayers pouring out grief and despair before God, calling out to him. The Psalms don't teach us to avoid these emotions, but to express them to God, knowing that he will hear But if life feels hopeless, I don't only want you to know that you're in good company. Um, And if life is good for you now, it's important for you to get this straight now before the griefs of life inevitably overtake you. I don't only want you to know that you're not alone, though. I also want you to know when you feel like life is hopeless and there is no point continuing, you're wrong. See, no matter how hopeless our situation might look or feel, God can and will work through it to bring salvation and life. Now, I say that because as we come to our passage in Luke this morning, we see God doing just that, not once, but twice. Situations where it is humanly impossible to see life And not once, but twice, God brings new life into this world. The first time we see uh, 
Elizabeth and Zechariah. Uh, they're a faithful couple. They've been serving God their whole lives, uh, but for one reason or another, they have not been able to have children. And now they are very old. From a human perspective, it's just impossible for them to have children now. See, this particular grief of being unable to have a baby, it's actually a a common theme throughout the Bible. Uh, And as I've said, I know some here will have experienced that grief, and it is terrible. It can take many forms. You might be married and just unable to conceive. Maybe you married, but the marriage broke down before you had children, (coughs) dashing your hopes of having that family that you dreamed of. There's a closely related grief in miscarriage as you hope for a child and that hope is dashed. For some of you, it may simply be that you were never able to marry and have the family that you dreamed of despite your own longing. There's many ways that can lead us to the grief of being unable to have children of our own. But they're all full of grief and they all contain this loss of hope for the future. But I want you to see that God works even through this terrible situation again and again and again to fulfill his promises of salvation and hope for his people. If you've got a pew Bible nearby, it'd be worth just opening it up with me. Uh, you can turn to Genesis chapter 15. That's the, the very first book in the Bible, right up front. So Genesis chapter 15, verses 2 and 3. Uh, Abram said to God, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And here we see right back at the beginning of the Bible's story, Abram, later known as Abraham, one of the greatest characters in the the whole story of the Bible, he experienced this grief. And yet God worked through this experience. Abraham and Sarah were very old. In fact, Abraham was literally a hundred. And Sarah was, not, was 90 years old before they finally had a child, who was Isaac, through whom God brought about his salvation for the world through that family. And it wasn't just Abraham and Sarah. Flick forward a little bit to chapter 25 of Genesis. and verse 21, if you've got a pew Bible, I think there's a couple of different versions, but for at least this one, page 24. Genesis chapter 25, verse 21. This is Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah, the child who was born after his mother was well past childbearing age. Here's his experience years down the track. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. See, Isaac too had that experience, and Rebecca had that experience of being, being unable to conceive the child they longed for. And yet God brought from them 
the child Jacob, later known as Israel, from whom the whole nation of God's people was descended. But then it happens again, just a couple more pages further on, chapter 30, verse 1. When Jacob, the child of the promise, when he grows up, here's his wife Rachel. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. Now, Jacob had multiple wives. That's a whole other story. That's a mess for another day. But see, Rachel was unable to bear children. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. That's an expression of great grief, isn't it? And God eventually gave Rachel a child, Joseph, through whom all of God's family, all of God's people, Jacob's family, were saved as they were brought to Egypt to escape famine. By working through these particular children that God brought about in where it was impossible for these women to conceive, humanly speaking. God brought salvation to his people. It's not just Genesis, though. We got, I'm going to keep going. Flick ahead to the book of Judges. It's the sixth book in the Bible, about a tenth of the way through. Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13, verse 2. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story, but if you just glance up at the heading right above that, you'll get a hint of which child this was. You may have heard the story of Samson, who was immensely strong, legendary strength, and God worked through this child to save God's people from the Philistines who were invading and enslaving them. It is out of this experience of childlessness and the hopelessness where there, there is no hope of life, God brings forth salvation in the person of Samson. Flick ahead again, just a few more pages, to the start of the book 1 Samuel. One Samuel begins, chapter one. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Have you worked out the pattern yet? Hannah goes to the temple. Verse 19, she prays. Early the next... Uh, sorry, she goes to the temple, she prays. After she has gone to the temple and prayed, verse 19, early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and they went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, 
Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And if we know the person of Samuel, if we've read our Old Testament, Samuel was the greatest of the judges who led the nation of Israel at this time. He was the man who appointed the king. He anointed first Saul and then David to be king over Israel. This was the man who brought salvation and peace to God's people. And once again, it comes out of this experience of being unable to bear a child. There are many ways that we experience the brokenness and sin of this world. There is a particular grief, though, and a particular feeling of helplessness when we're unable to have the children of our own that we long for. Our experience of suffering, it points us to our real need. Just as in each one of these stories, we too need God to fix our brokenness. We need God to bring forth life where we are unable to bring forth life. These stories show us that our suffering, whether it's this particular suffering or another type, our suffering is not pointless. The grief, the pain is very real. and We mustn't pretend otherwise. We don't brush these things under the carpet. We need to be honest with God about our griefs and pains and in appropriate ways and at appropriate times. We need to be honest with each other. But we see again and again and again, God works through these situations of grief and pain to bring about salvation and life. Even in the particular pain of childlessness, God is working. What's he working to do? Romans 8.28 We know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, in context, the good that God is working towards is to make us more like Jesus, to reshape our character so that we might live in godliness and righteousness. God is working to reshape our hearts and desires to make us more like Christ. And that's good for us, even though it can be incredibly painful, possibly more painful than we can bear. Yet God is at work. So if we return to the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, uh, back in Luke chapter 1, presumably you've lost the page, page 1012 in the Pew Bible. As we come to Elizabeth and Zechariah's story, and we read that they are too old to have children, if we've been reading our Old Testament, we shouldn't look at this and think, here is a hopeless situation. Notice that's what Zechariah thinks. Even after the angel of the Lord stands before him in the centre of the temple and declares, you're going to have a child, what does Zechariah say? How can I be sure? 
he still can't quite believe it. Luke tells us explicitly that Zechariah is a good man, but he still struggles to believe God's word because what God says seems impossible. But if we've seen God at work throughout the scriptures, we should look at this and say, here is God doing something special to bring salvation to his people. And that's what God does. Elizabeth conceives and bears a son whom she names John. And he grows up to be John the Baptist who declares repentance and good news to the people of Israel and prepares them for the arrival of their Lord and the salvation that he will bring. (coughs) Where there had been no life and no hope, God brought life and hope. But if it seemed impossible for God to bring life from Elizabeth's dead womb, the next part of the story, as we come to Mary, well, that presents a problem of a whole different order of magnitude, doesn't it? Mary was a virgin. Now, I trust we all know where babies come from. If it was unlikely for post-menopause, post-menopausal Elizabeth to conceive a child, it was impossible for Mary. I mean, at least Elizabeth was married. She had, let's say, the ingredients to fall pregnant. But not Mary. And yet, if we've seen the way God works, we should look even here and say... Here is God doing something even more special to bring about salvation for his people. Listen to the way the angel Gabriel describes this child who will be born. Verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. That means God saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Or a little bit later, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Through Jesus, whose birth was humanly impossible, God brought salvation to his people. Where there had been no life and no hope of life, God brought life and hope and joy. And if bringing life from a virgin's womb seems impossible, what about the tomb? Even there, as Jesus lay dead, in the ground where there was no life and no hope of life. God brought forth life and hope and joy in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So what now? Am I saying Jesus died to save us so we just ignore our pain and hopelessness? No! Our pain and our feelings of hopelessness are all too real to just ignore. 
And notice Gabriel did not rock up to Zechariah and say, just don't worry about that pain of childlessness. Just get over it. That's not what he does. We can't ignore the griefs of this life. Instead, when life fails, when hope is absent, it should show us that this world is broken and full of sin. We should see our need for God. And we should turn to our scriptures and see again and again and again that God uses even the brokenness and sin of this world to bring about salvation. I don't know all of the particular griefs and pains in your life right now. And I don't know how God will work through them. And you may never know in this life how God is working through those things. Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. But whether we understand what God is doing or not, we need to understand that God is trustworthy. Where there appears to be no life and no hope of life, God keeps bringing life and hope and joy. What sort of life and hope and joy? Well, it's the hope of resurrection to eternal life and the new life that begins even now so that we can become more like Christ and live in righteousness. I do have to be clear, though. God has not promised to relieve your grief and pain right now. If you are sick or dying, God has not promised to heal you immediately. But he has promised that he will heal your body in the resurrection from the dead. If you are struggling with infertility, God has not promised you that you will be able to conceive. But he has brought you into his family, this family. The grief of childlessness may not go away, but you can face it knowing that you have a family to share the grief with, and to share eternity with, as God will bring us all together around the throne of Christ. And even now, there are children here in this family for you to have relationship with and to care for. As long as this world lasts, our griefs and our brokenness and our sin will remain. And we may have to sit with them for a very long time. There's no promise of quick relief. But in this beginning of the Christmas story, we see those private griefs of Elizabeth and Zechariah who were unable to conceive give way to joy as God brings life and hope. And we see the problems faced by the whole of God's people in their sin and their brokenness. They're all resolved as God brings life out of lifelessness, hope out of hopelessness, the saviour of the world out of the virgin's womb, where there appears to be no life and no hope of life, our God brings life and hope and joy. Let me pray. Lord God, 
In the brokenness of this world, we cry out to you, knowing that only you can set things right. And Father, we do ask that you may fix all of the sin and brokenness of this world that we live in, and we pray that you may do it quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. But while we wait, Father, we pray that we may put our trust in you and that you may continue to reshape us to be more and more like Christ. Amen.